Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This series is on the church and spiritual warfare. During this series, Kevin Connor's best-selling book, The Church in the New Testament, is available at 50% off as an immediate PDF download from kevinconnor.org. Select monthly special. And uh, today and next Sunday, I want to uh, finish on our series that we've been doing on, on the church and spiritual warfare over about 10 sessions altogether. And we're by no means exhausting the subject. How many know you'll never exhaust warfare until Jesus comes and the warfare's over? But I want to finish on the series that I've been sharing with you. So let's turn to two passages of Scripture uh, Joshua chapter 14. And then uh, a couple of verses from Joshua chapter 19. Joshua chapter 14. And I want to read from verses 6 through to 7. And uh, then the uh, couple of verses from Joshua 19. And then just take a moment to review here as we uh, pick up where we left off last Sunday. Okay, Joshua chapter 14 and verse uh, 6 through to uh, verse 15. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Joshua and Caleb. Everybody say Joshua and Caleb. Let's say it again. Joshua and Caleb. Okay, so Joshua, they came unto Joshua and Caleb, and uh, he said, You know the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me, Caleb, and you, Joshua, in Kadesh Barnea. We referred to Kadesh Barnea last week. Forty years old was I when Moses, servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance, and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the, the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day eighty-five years young. Hallelujah. As yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. He'd laid hold of that promise. As thy days, so shall thy strength be. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. Now therefore, give me this mountain. Who wants mountains? It's a lot of work. Whereof the Lord spake to me in that day, for thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb the son of Jephunneh, Hebron, and Hebron means fellowship, by the way, Hebron for an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, unto this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron before was Kirjath Arba, which Arba was a great man among the Anakims, and the land had rest for more. Now let's turn over to two or three verses in Joshua chapter 19. Joshua chapter 19. And in this passage we find we've come to the uh, 
complete div uh, division of the land and all the tribes have received their inheritance. And the last man to receive his inheritance is Joshua himself, very humble leader and uh, made sure everybody else got their portion of the land before he received his. So Joshua chapter 19 and verses 49 through to 51. When they had made an end of dividing the land for inheritance by their coasts, the children of Israel gave an inheritance to Joshua, the son of Nun, among them. According to the word of the Lord, they gave him the city which he asked, even Timnath-Serah in Mount Ephraim, and he built the city and dwelt therein. These are the inheritances which Elias the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel divided for an inheritance by lot in Shiloh before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So they made an end of dividing the country. The Lord bless their portions to our heart. All right, now let's just take a moment to review where we were sharing from last week and in the uh, several weeks back. We've been using Israel as a picture of the church and Israel's warfare and our series together has been uh, the, uh, uh, the spiritual warfare, the church and spiritual warfare. And as we've been looking at Israel for a picture of the church, all these things happen unto them for types and examples and are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age have come, Paul writes to the Corinthians. We've seen in Israel's warfare that there's actually been three phases of the war. First of all, the uh, phase of Egypt, uh, overcoming Egypt, and we saw their failure in the wilderness, how in their hearts they're continually turning back to Egypt. Seven times in their hearts they're turning back to Egypt. Never came, overcame out of uh, Egypt. They came out of Egypt, but Egypt never came out of them. And the next phase of the war was the wilderness, and last Sunday we particularly dealt with the wilderness and the failure of this generation in the wilderness. And then the phase that we're looking at today is Canaan, uh, the third phase of the war. So Egypt, first phase of the war, and we used Egypt as a type of the world, then the wilderness a type of the flesh, and then Canaan uh, a type of the devil and principalities and powers and wicked spirits and high places. Egypt represented the enemy without, the external enemy, the enemy that we all have to fight, the world. And then the wilderness represented the flesh, the enemy within, the internal battle. So we have an external battle with the pull of the world, the whole world's philosophy and those ten things that we dealt with. And then the wilderness represents the flesh, the enemy within, the internal battle that I experienced, that you experienced, we all experienced. And then, of course, the enemy above, uh, the devil, principalities and powers, kingdom of darkness. And uh, we've been playing on alliteration here. The Egypt, the world, represents the external enemy. And the wilderness represents the flesh, the internal enemy. And Canaan represents the devil. And his whole kingdom represents the infernal enemy. Now, God's will, as we've seen together, was to bring them out of Egypt, not into the wilderness, but through the wilderness into Canaan. The wilderness was never God's will. And uh, we see when, because their failure in the wilderness was always turning back to Egypt in their hearts and the failure and the sins of the flesh that came out in the wilderness that we looked at last week. Now, we finished up on a very positive note. We want to pick up on that this morning and then continue. We see in that generation there was two men, Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua and Caleb and, uh, of the 12 spies, and one of the tragedy, tragedies about this whole thing is that uh, when Moses sent the 12 spies, they were all leaders. 
They were heads of tribes, they were leaders, and uh, ten of them brought back a bad report of the land. And so the whole nation was robbed for 40 years, or another 38 years, uh, of entering into the promises of God into, into their inheritance because of leadership. And the tragedy today is that we see whole churches, whole congregations, whole denominations are robbed of entering into their inheritance because of leadership. Who bring up a bad report about the things of God, the things God has promised. And actually the Bible is like our promised land, is full of promises. And we see leadership today robbing whole congregations, robbing whole churches, and whole denominations have been robbed. And I've seen this over my years, that whole denominations have been robbed because of what leadership uh, said and, and robbed their people. Said, I oh, don't go near that and everything like that. And so churches and people, individuals, congregations have wandered in the wilderness and just dying out. And sometimes I say it. Uh, facetiously, well they're dead and know better now, but they've robbed a whole congregation, generations of entering into the promises of God. Well, praise God for two spies, two leaders here, Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb, they were overcomers, and so they actually overcome the, the battle against Egypt. Nowhere do you ever hear of Joshua and Caleb in their hearts turning back into Egypt. And they overcame the wilderness, the flesh. You never hear the sins of the flesh that we looked at last week coming out in Joshua and Caleb. So they overcame the battle in Egypt or against Egypt. They overcame the battle of the wilderness, the world and the flesh. Now Joshua and Caleb are ready for the third phase of the war, Canaan warfare, overcoming principalities and powers represented in the Canaanites. I personally want to be uh, in the Joshua Caleb company. How many old people like me want to be in that? I'm 65 years young, not 65 years old, 65 years young and I want to be in that generation that's the Joshua Caleb company but uh, not only Joshua and Caleb, they had a whole new generation that was going to enter with them. And I believe today young people, it's very interesting, it's the people that were 20 years old and above. So those who, uh, they were going to die but the teenagers whole new generation we're going to enter. How many are under 19 here? Or 19 and under, okay, well whatever age. How many are young in spirit? The message is this, there's going to be a Joshua Caleb company along with a whole new generation that's going to enter into the promises of God. They will have overcome Egypt, the world, the pull of the world, wilderness, the pull of the flesh and be able to handle Canaan warfare. That's the picture that we have here. In, uh, on our session last Sunday when we were reading some scriptures from Numbers, listen to what uh, the Bible says about Joshua and Caleb. Caleb, he said, let us go up at once and possess the land. We are well able to overcome it. And then the next day, Joshua and Caleb, they said, it's a good land. And if the Lord delight in us, he'll bring us in. Don't rebel against the Lord. Don't fear them. The Lord is with us and not with them. And then uh, we also saw that the Lord said about Caleb, Caleb had another spirit, a whole different attitude with him. And he followed me wholly. And he said, I'm going to bring him into the land. I'm going to bring Joshua and Caleb. And so the Lord said, only Joshua and Caleb of those leaders would come into the land. The other leaders died by the plague. And so the picture we look at this morning is this. The Joshua and Caleb as overcomers with this new generation had won the battle against Egypt, the world. They'd won the battle against the wilderness, the flesh. Now they're ready to handle the enemy. 
And I think uh, we've made it very clear in our series together, different Christians are on different levels of experience and many Christians have not overcome the world. Oh, they've been washed in the blood of the Passover lamb and water baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit and so forth, but there's still that pull of the world on them, pull of the world. And we dealt with that very strongly on a couple of Sundays there. And then others uh, are still battling with the flesh. Actually, we sort of, in one way, we're fighting a war on three fronts, but a lot of battling with the sins of the flesh and never overcome. So no use looking to try and conquer principalities and powers and come into Canaan land and the picture we're using when we haven't conquered the flesh. We don't conquer the flesh many times because the world conquers us. So that's the whole picture that God gives us in Israel. Now, what we want to look at this morning, and this is sort of the title for our message here, is we want to look at principles of warfare in Canaan land. So principles of warfare in Canaan land. As Joshua and Caleb and this new generation are going to leave the wilderness now, they've come out of Egypt, they're coming out of the wilderness and now coming into Canaan, God, as it were, gives them certain uh, principles of warfare that they're going to have to exercise and, and, and go by if they're going to win the battle in Canaan. Uh, over the years I've been getting a, uh, a magazine, let me just see if I can find the pages here of it, uh, entitled, uh, or it's, 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 uh, it's called News Weekly, and uh, in 1984, uh, I photocopied an article out of it, and a very interesting article, and this uh, article is entitled 10 Strategic Principles for Keeping the Peace, and it's actually written by Harry G. Summers, but it has to do with the US, USA and the Vietnam War and everything like that. But uh, in, the, in the opening paragraph, and I felt there were some spiritual lessons here, he says, the 10 principles of war break down into three primary questions. One, what are we trying to do? Two, how are we going to do it? Three, who is going to command and to control it? And then he goes through this article, which I've got here, a very interesting article, and of course he's dealing with natural warfare, USA's involvement in Vietnam and everything like that. But he goes through ten principles of warfare. And uh, as I read this article, I thought it was worth photocopying because first the natural, then the spiritual. So he lists out ten principles of warfare. I want to give ten that I've sort of uh, uh, related to this whole situation here. Uh, that uh, Joshua and Caleb were men of principle, and as they went in to possess Canaan and overcome principalities and powers and all the Canaanites represented there, they had victory as long as they followed biblical principles. They, when they violated those laws, those biblical principles, there was casualty, there was defeat by the enemy, and so many lessons because, as I've got here, uh, you can sort of superimpose, as we have uh, addition, uh, putting additions here, Egypt, coming out of Egypt, is seen in the book of Exodus and the book of Leviticus. The wandering in the wilderness is seen in the book of Numbers and the book of Deuteronomy. So Exodus and Leviticus represents coming out of Egypt. Numbers and Deuteronomy represent the wandering period in the wilderness. Deuteronomy, the second law given to the new generation. But the book of Joshua now deals with Canaan land. So Joshua is the inheritance. Joshua is a book of warfare. So these principles of war, 
And as he says, the ten principles of war uh, break down into these three primary questions that over the sessions we've been sharing, we've sort of been asking ourselves these questions. Well, you know, what are we trying to do? What's the war all about? How are we going to do it? How are we going to conquer in this war? Who's going to command and control it? And so what are the biblical principles of warfare? So in this picture, of course, Israel fought a physical and natural war against the Canaanites. As Paul said, our warfare today is not against flesh and blood. So we're not fighting uh, physical people and physical warfare with uh, physical weapons. Ours is a spiritual warfare, though it does involve human beings, of course, and spiritual weapons. So Paul says, uh, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and wicked spirits in heavenly places. So over our series together, we've sort of been uh, trying to answer some of these questions. Well, what's it all about? And I believe these questions that uh, Mr. Summers uh, writes in his 10 Principles of War are very applicable to us today. Now, I want to put on the overhead 10 principles of spiritual warfare. There's no way that I'm going to uh, try and exhaust them, but I'd like to encourage you because, as always, there's uh, so, many, uh, so many things involved and always vast areas, as, uh, as we know. But I do want to give you 10 principles of spiritual warfare that Joshua and Caleb and the new generation had to fight by, and as they followed these principles in Canaan, they, they went from victory to victory. But when they disobeyed or violated these principles, there was defeat in the camp and so forth. So that's what we want to talk about. So I'm not going to sort of swamp you with scriptures this morning uh, because I want to finish the uh, series together next Sunday. Uh, but I do want to at least give you these principles. So if you have a pen and uh, paper, why don't you take these things down as I comment, just uh, give you a scripture here and there. Okay, so what we're looking at here is... Uh, I didn't sort of focus that very well before, did I? Okay, pr uh, principles of spiritual warfare or warfare in Canaan. So overcoming the world, Egypt, overcoming the wilderness, the flesh, overcoming the devil, principalities and powers. Okay, the first principle here that Joshua and Caleb and the new generation had to uh, go by was know the captain of the army. Know who the captain is. Why don't you put down Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5, and I'll paraphrase a little bit just because of our schedule here. Joshua chapter 5 and verses uh, 13 through to 15. Joshua 5, verses 13 through to 15. In this uh, chapter we find that Joshua, Caleb and Israel, the new generation, about to cross into the promised land. So jo Joshua is uh, right close by the city of Jericho and as he's standing by the city of Jericho, I'm sure thoughts are going through his mind right now. How are we going to enter in this phase of the warfare? Egypt's behind, wilderness we're about to leave, now we're going to Canaan and we're headed for warfare. Conflict with the Canaanites representing principalities and power. So as he's standing there looking at city, uh, the city of Jericho, the great walls of Jericho, uh, their first uh, entrance point into the promised land and to gain their inheritance, all of a sudden he sees a man standing over there and the man has a sword drawn. It's out of its sheath and the man is standing there with his sword drawn. So Joshua goes over this man he says, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And uh, the captain of the Lord's host said, look, I'm the captain here, I'm here to take over. And as soon as Joshua heard that, we were told in that passage of scripture, he fell down on his face 
and began to worship. He suddenly realised who this man was. It was none other than what we say theologically, a Christophany. It was a, a, a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ as the captain of the Lord's host. So though Joshua himself was the captain of Israel, he recognised there was a captain above him, Captain Jesus. So he said, as captain of the Lord's host, am I come. So Joshua fell on his face and worshipped. Now the Bible says that God said to Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And so as Joshua is on, flat on his face there before the captain of the Lord's host, he said, take off your shoes, you're standing on holy ground. It was just ordinary ground before that. But once Jesus is there, it becomes holy ground. And saints, this is just ordinary ground here, a bit of carpet and ordinary building. But once the presence of Jesus is here, it's holy ground. Amen? It's the presence of Jesus that makes ground holy. Presence of Jesus that makes this place holy. Holy place. So we don't treat it like we do other places. It's the Lord's house. Presence of the Lord. And so, remember, years before, when the Lord appeared to Moses in the burning bush and spoke to him out the burning bush, he said, take your shoes off, you're on holy ground. Just a burning bush, just ordinary ground. But once the presence of Jesus was there, it became holy ground and God had something to say. And I believe that that's the first principle Joshua had to learn. Know the captain of the army. So though I am captain of the host of Israel, there's a captain who is mightier than I. I'm on holy ground. And saints, holiness precedes victory. If there was going to be victory in Canaan land, it was going to be on the basis of holiness because once they violated that, there was defeat. So holiness precedes victory. How many are glad that Jesus is spoken of as the captain of our salvation. Jesus is our captain. So, number one, principle number one, we must know the captain of the army, the Lord Jesus Christ, our personal relationship with him, because Joshua is going to get all his instructions how to take the cities in this land. All right, number two, second principle of spiritual warfare, and I believe this is a very important one. As I said, there's no way we can amplify these. But put down Numbers chapter 1 and Numbers chapter 2, uh, just those whole chapters. Why don't we turn over to Numbers and look at a few verses here. Numbers chapter 1 and Numbers chapter 2, just uh, the whole chapters actually. And in Numbers 1 and uh, verse 1 it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tabernacle of the congregation, on the first day of the second month and the second year after they were come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take ye the sum of all the congregation of the children of Israel after their families. So we're here by our families this morning, by the house of their fathers. House of their fathers, we heard as, as Dan and uh, Brian shared yesterday in the reception, just beautiful family relationship. House of their fathers, with the number of their names, every male by their poles, from 20 years old and upward, all that were able to go forth to war in Israel, thou and Aaron shall number them by their armies. And then in verse 4, And with you there shall be a man of every tribe, every one head of the house of his fathers, head of the house of the fathers. And you can go through 14 times in this chapter, it says uh, at the close of these verses here, 20 years old and upward, all that were able to go forth to war. 20 years old and upward, all that were able to go forth to war. 14 times in that chapter, those that were able to go forth to war. Now, the issue was this, 
that all those in the different tribes, those who were men of war, 20 years old and upwards, they had to gather to their leaders, the head of the house, head of the families, the head of the tribes, they had to gather to their leaders. So though Joshua was the captain, under him there were leaders and heads of the houses and all the able-bodied men of war were to gather to their leaders. Now in spiritual application here, Jesus Christ is captain of the Lord's host. He's captain Jesus. He's the captain of our salvation. And then in Waverly Christian Fellowship, just applying this to our situation here, uh, I'm Captain Connor. I would have been if I'd stayed in the Salvation Army. In fact, I probably might have been the general, but I uh, got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, got the left foot of fellowship, and that was the end of me. Okay, so uh, I'm senior minister here, captain, but I'm subject to the captain, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? But then in Waverley Christian Fellowship, we have our eldership, we have our home leaders, we have leaders in different departments here. They are our spiritual leaders. And if we as a church are going to go forth conquering and to conquer the army of the Lord, then we need to learn to uh, know our spiritual leaders, those under Christ. So Christ is the captain of our salvation. I, I refer to a senior minister or Kevin, I don't like titles, you know that. And then the eldership and the leaders of all the various departments. But they had to know their leaders. So when the battle was on, when Joshua and Caleb and the new generation was going in to conquer the land, they had to know their leaders and be ready to follow their leaders. Leaders had to follow uh, Joshua and Joshua had to depend upon the captain of the Lord's host. Okay, number three, the third principle of spiritual warfare is know your enemy. Who are we really fighting? Who are our, en our, en our enemies? And uh, as we've been saying, who are, who are we really fighting? Who is the real enemy? And see, we, we can be diverted by Satan. Paul says we're not ignorant of his devices. Now, as you'll see on the overhead, there's two classes of enemies. There are enemies that have to be destroyed, and there are some enemies that have to be subdued. So when Joshua and Caleb and the new generation were entering to the land, they had to distinguish, okay, there are enemies to be destroyed, there are enemies to be subdued. They had to know. And so spiritually speaking, uh, sin and sickness and disease, death is the last enemy to be destroyed. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. But there are certain enemies and God has said to his son, sit on my right hand until all your enemies be made your footstool. Last enemy to be destroyed is death. But there's certain enemies that have to be destroyed. And so when you apply it to the Canaanite situation, we just realize that our, our society today, Western society, so forth, is just so much like the Canaanites. They were into bestiality, sexual relationship with animals. They were into homosexuality, lesbianism. They had child sacrifice. People say, why did God say kill the Canaanites? Just read the Bible and see the atrocities and the abominations that the Canaanites were into. And those sins of the Canaanites are being repeated in our nations today in Australia. And as I said, it's screaming to high heaven. So enemies that have to be destroyed. There are other enemies that have to be subdued. He will subdue our enemies under us. And uh, all of us outside of Christ were once enemies. Paul says, when we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. But see, when we, when we bring people to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour, then instead of being an enemy of the cross, they become a pilgrim of the cross, 
They take up their cross and follow Jesus. So you who were enemies once in your mind by wicked works, now we have subdued. He will subdue the enemies under us. And every time a person accepts Christ, he is a subdued enemy. So we're not out to destroy people's lives, we're out to save them. But sin destroys people's lives. So we have to distinguish between that, those uh, enemies that have to be destroyed and enemies that have to be subdued. Okay, know your enemies. We've been applying our enemies of the world, the flesh and the devil. All right, principle of spiritual warfare number four is know your battleground. Know your battleground. And uh, you can put down two scriptures here. Ephesians chapter 3 and verses uh, 10 to 12. Ephesians 3, 10 to 12, Ephesians 6 and verse 12. So that's Ephesians 3, verses 10 to 12, Ephesians 6, verse 12. Five times actually in the epistle to the Ephesians, Paul tells us where our battleground is. He says, our warfare is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and wicked spirits in high or literally in heavenly places. So it's infernal. We have a Satan and his angels against Michael and his angels. War in heaven, as we saw in one of our earlier sessions. So God's eternal purpose by the churches, by the church, to the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church, the many-sided wisdom of God. So we are dealing with principalities and powers. And as I said this morning on this whole issue here, how many know that there's a spirit of Satan at work in this whole society? That's what we're dealing with. We want to save men's souls and save their lives, but sin will destroy. So we've got to know our battleground. Who are we battling? Where are we battling? Where is the war? What field are we actually fighting in? That was really important. And so heavenly places here. All right, number five, another principle of spiritual warfare is know what the war is all about. You know, and talking to, uh, when I was in the States, you know, some people say, well, what's the war all about, those who are in Vietnam? What are we really fighting for? Nothing. It's a no-win war. Well, God never has any no-win wars. He's out to win. He's going to win. Amen? So what's the war all about? What are we really fighting? What is the war really over? And you see, the issue is, saints, is we are, the warfare is about government, the government of God. So we have the kingdom of darkness opposing the kingdom of light. We have God, we have the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit and the, the elect angels that chose not to side with Satan and sin. Then we have the church. This is where the conflict is. And then we have the kingdom of darkness, Satan, Antichrist, fallen angels, wicked spirits, demonic spirits, and wicked mankind, wicked politicians who are anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-the kingdom of God, anti-the church. That's where the conflict is. And so the battle is not won by us fighting flesh and blood. The battle is won by principalities and powers up there. Uh, most of you have read Piercing the Darkness and uh, uh, ever, what's the other one, this present darkness. And though it's a novel, I still believe, and you have to keep in mind it's not Bible, it's novel, but I still believe the man saw something that as the saints were praying, they were doing the fighting up there. The saints weren't going around like some of the, uh, I better back off this, but uh, pick it up in the States and, and talking to different ones that we have to fight against geographical spirits and territorial spirits. Uh, but not say too much on it, but you don't find it in the book of, uh, in the Bible. 
New Testament all, where we're going now, rebuking the devil and binding territorial spirits, anything like that, or geographical spirit. That thing needs to get in balance here. Daniel, when he was praying, the prince of Grecia fought against the prince of Persia, and they were doing the warfare. But Daniel was doing the praying. We fight best saints who pray. So we, I can't say any more on that, but we need to keep that. So what's the wall about? That's what it's about. Kingdom of God, kingdom of darkness, God's government, God's kingdom, Satan's kingdom. So when we pray the traditional, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come. What are we saying? Your kingdom, your government, your rule, your reign, your authority come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That's what it's about. That's what the war is for us about. We are in war. Faith, Satan hates the church. He hates us. How many know that? Okay. He hates Jesus Christ. He hates the church. The world doesn't love the church. So we've got to know what the war is about. All right, number six. The next principle of spiritual warfare is know the laws of warfare and their purpose. Why don't you just put down Deuteronomy chapter 20. It's a whole message in itself, but the, the uh, laws of warfare, and I'd never seen this before myself, but just in studying this over the time here, uh, the laws of warfare. God said that uh, before anybody goes to battle, they must have their house in order. Now that's a whole message in itself there. That the, having the house in order and your dedicated house must be done before you go to warfare. And many Christians today are trying to go to warfare and being overcome because the house is not in order. And when I'm talking about the house, I'm talking about our natural houses because the husband and wife relationship, parents and children relationship, house is out of order. And so God says, you don't go to warfare and don't get, become involved in warfare till your house is in order. And so today, what are we trying to do? Get the church in order or get the houses in order? Because the church is just a whole bunch of homes, houses come together. The house of the Lord is simply our houses come together. And, and, and if you want to get the church in order, get the house in order. So if we get our homes in order, the church will be in order. And so I see why Christians are up and down and not being victorious and overcoming. and say, here you are trying to go out to warfare and God says, hey, no warfare till you get your house in order. How many understand what I'm saying here? It's a whole message in itself. And uh, we, we have the whole thing on Gideon's army. When they went out to battle, Gideon had 32,000 people in his church, in his congregation. And the Lord comes and gives him a terrible word and says, Gideon, the people that you've got are too, too many for me. And Gideon says, not too many for me. The Midianites are out there like a bunch of grasshoppers by the millions. And I've only got 32,000 members in my church and you say they're too many for me. And God goes into the laws of warfare because he said, no, lest you be lifted up in pride. So God says, we'll sort of empty the church out of it. Thanks a lot. Don't, please. You know. So uh, he gives out the one of the laws. And so what happened? 22,000, he said, all those who were scared and afraid, go home. So Joshua closes his eyes. And as he does, he opens one and sees 22,000 people leave the church. Oh, he goes back to the Lord and says, I've only got 10,000 people left. You've messed up my church. 22,000 members have walked out on me. And God says, there's still too many. Phew. 
Joshua says, okay, what now? So God says, okay, we'll give them a tongue test. Why don't you bring them down to the waters and all those who... Then I get into this too much, I'm trying to finish. Uh, lap the water with their tongue like a dog. Have you ever seen a dog drink water? How do they do it? Everybody do it. Put your tongue out. And... Well, some of you got good tongues there. Okay. It was a tongue test. Anyway, we better get off that. That's a message in itself too, as you see. So he ends up with 300 people. God says, by that 300, that'll do me. So you have to understand, because God was not going to allow pride, he's not going to allow fear, because you frighten everybody away, and if a person's house wasn't in order, he said, no. Number seven, quickly. Principles of spiritual warfare. And you see, if Joshua and Caleb are going to take this new generation of the land, they're going to have to go by principle, not by expedience. No unity with your fellow soldiers. You know, someone has said, the church is the only army in the world that shoots its wounded. That's tragic, isn't it, eh? Saints, we're all in this together. I cannot win the battle alone. We're in it together. We are all soldiers of Jesus Christ, called to be soldiers together. We're all in it together. So we're not to shoot one another in the back. When I was in the Blue Orchids, the Air Force, I heard of stories where if they didn't like the guy who was in charge, they just shot him in the back, got rid of him, shot him in the leg, wounded him. I thought, wow, do we do this in the church where we criticise one another, shoot one another down, knock one another over, shoot one another in the back, and the enemy says, you're never going to win a battle. You'll just self-destruct. If you bite and devour each other, you'll destroy. So how many churches are being destroyed today by internal strife, internal division, criticism, backbiting, shooting one another in the back? Saints, we're all in it toge- together in this war, in Waverly Christian Fellowship. Amen? And the devil hates our guts, every one of us. He hates my guts. He hates yours. Have you got any? How many know what I mean in modern vernacular? So we're in it together. So how much we need unity in this warfare. Fellow soldiers, we're in the battle together. We're not fighting one another. We're not out to destroy each other. We're out to attack the enemy. And so many times when I'm counseling, I say, okay, we're not here to attack a personality. We're here to attack the problem. Though some personalities are problems. Uh, all right, so no unity with your fellow soldiers. You think of them going into Canaan land and trying to possess the cities there if there wasn't that. All right, quickly here, number eight, very important principle of spiritual warfare is no submission and obedience to God's commands. No submission and obedience to God's command. I have on my own notes, know how to give unquestioning obedience to divine commands. Now, you picture as Joshua is going to the land, there are a lot of cities to be conquered there, and I like to apply this, you know, the Lord's called us to, okay, plant churches and so forth, in his way and his time. But you see, there's all these cities out there, so when Joshua, the first city to be overcome is Jericho. So God says to Jericho, uh, says to Joshua about Jericho, Okay, this is how I want you to conquer this city. And uh, going from Joshua chapter 3 through to 13, at least 12 times I, I read there, 
As the Lord said to Joshua, 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 the Lord said to Joshua. Captain of the Lord's host, the Lord said to Joshua. So how was Joshua going to conquer the battle and win in Canaan? As the Lord said. So Jericho, march around six times, one time a day, seventh time, seventh day, seven times, thirteen times, shout, shut up the rest of the week. And thirteenth time on the seventh day, at the seventh time, which is number thirteen, shout the walls. Now they never did conquer another city that way. They didn't say, oh, now we know how to win this battle. We march around the wall that day. Now let's do it the next city. How many know just off the cuff here, you know, sometimes we have wonderful meetings. How many think we have pretty good meetings, really? How many appreciate the presence of the Lord? Some meetings are better than others. Some are more released. But, you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit will quicken the song and so forth. And sometimes the Holy Spirit does quicken something on the hit parade. But sometimes, you know, we think, oh, that worked last Sunday. Let's try it this Sunday. And you try it and it's as flat as a tack. I used to do that. How do you think I know these? Because <laughs> huh? so, wow, two Sundays back we had a good meeting and I did this, this, this and the other. So I'm going to do it again this Sunday. And I do this, this, this and the other. And it's as flat as a tack. So, oh. Well, see, they didn't march around every city. God had a plan for each city. And each time God had to give a word. So if we're going to plant churches and so forth, we have to do it God's way, God's time, God's will. Amen? So there's a plan for each city. So AI, what do they do? Oh, well, we did Jericho, just big deal. AI's a little city. Up they go. Boom, boom, boom. Defeat. They're violating some of these principles. Defeat. And so Joshua says, oh God, you know, you said you'd give us victory. Here Israel turned their backs. We're defeated. And God said, sorry, there's been a violation of principles of spiritual warfare. There's sin in the camp. Achan, better clean him out. And you see, we are a body. And see, the whole church in the wilderness, Israel, as the church in the wilderness, they, they suffer defeat because of Achan and family and the whole Babylonian garment there and the wedge of gold. Babylon, Babylon, that thing. So a whole nation was robbed of victory. And I hate to say this, saints, but a whole church can be robbed of victory with the sin in the camp that we don't handle and deal with. So, you know, and then when they had to go around uh, the next city there, God said, okay, Joshua, speak to the sun and the moon. Sun, stand still. Moon, stand still. Just give us a bit more time to win this battle. Now, every city they went to, they didn't say that. And you think what chaos if we be say, okay, sun, come out. We've had enough winter. Moon, get lost. Mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into Graham McMahon's backyard. <laughs> he needs some more dirt. Huh? We'd have the sun blushing, the moon dripping blood and milkshakes. You know, mountains would be flying, there'd be dirt flying everywhere. It'd be chaos. But see, God had a plan for each city. And they had to learn submission and obedience to God's commands. Very important principle there. Okay, two more here. Number nine, another principle of spiritual warfare is know your armour and the weapons of your warfare. We'll be dealing with that next Sunday and I'll final one on this series together. Know your armour and spiritual warfare. The Bible says, the Lord has opened his armoury and brought forth his weapons of indignation. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal like Israel's were, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And then number 10 here, know the ultimate end 
of the, uh, of the warfare is victory. Praise God. At the, we may have a lot of casualties, but at the end of the book it says we win. The Vietnam War in USA was a no-win war. Those who were on the inside, they said we purposely meant it to be a no-win war because we financed the war both ends for the world monetary system. And Do you know what one guy actually said? A few of them said, what's the death of a few Americans in the Vietnam War if it keeps thousands of people in jobs at home? The end justifies the means. Well, saints, God, God is not fighting a no-win war. The end of the book, it says, we win. Amen. So Joshua and Caleb and the new generation, as they followed these principles, there was victory in Canaan. And as we do, there'll be victory in us. To violate them brings defeat. So Joshua and Caleb didn't turn in their hearts back to Egypt. They overcome the sins of the wilderness and they had another spirit. They wholly followed the Lord. How many can say amen to that? Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.